live from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking this week uh, on the GP Takeover about water, clean water specifically, uh, and why it's so important. And not just why it's so important, but what the Trump administration is trying to do to take clean water away from you, away from me, away from us. So uh, last week, the Trump administration announced uh, what's a final rule uh, and a rollback of a major Obama-era clean water regulation, uh, the Waters of the United States rule, which placed limits on polluting chemicals that could be used near streams, wetlands, and other bodies of water. Um, And basically what it will do is it, it essentially says that polluters no longer need a permit to discharge potentially harmful substances into streams and wetlands, Uh, And it's really just the latest example of uh, Donald Trump and the Trump administration seeking to roll back, well, everything that's Obama-related, and specifically the stuff that we're going to be talking about today, um, environmental, really it's it's the latest effort to dismantle environmental protections that were put in place during the Obama administration. Uh, We know it's extremely dangerous. We know that not everybody, including folks in Flint, Michigan, have access to clean water already, and that maintaining access to clean water or getting that access is so incredibly important, uh, really, for every aspect of life. So to to talk more about this, to talk more about the water protection rollback, uh, who stands to gain and and lose the most from this, uh, we're joined in studio by Andrew Grinberg, the National Campaign Special Projects Manager at Clean Water Action. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we're joined in the on the phone by um, Inseadu Obut-Witherspoon, the Executive Director at the Children's Environmental Health Network. Thanks for joining us, Insay. Thank you. Awesome. So we, to just jump right in and, and, and start off, Andrew, can you share a, a bit about your, your background on water protection and, and what you're doing now at, at Clean Water Action? Sure. Um, first of all, yeah, thanks for having us to talk about this important issue. There's uh, a lot of big things going on in this space and many others, so it's important that we, we take a little time to focus in on uh, these water rollbacks. Uh, so I've been at Clean Water Action uh, for about 13 years, and we work on federal, state, and local policies that impact water and other facets of the environment and impact health. Uh, we got our start actually to help pass the Clean Water Act uh, back in 1972, and so one of our biggest core parts of our mission is to protect that law. It's one of the core you know, bedrock laws that is upholds our life support system. It's uh, how we ensure we have clean drinking water. Uh, it's how we have rivers, lakes, bays that are fishable, swimmable, uh, that we can recreate in, go boating, habitat for animals. And so uh, the federal uh, kind of baseline protections that come to, come to us from the Clean Water Act are so important to our everyday lives. And that's been, you know, one of the main things we orient our work around. Awesome. That makes sense. And uh, appreciate the, the work you've done and continue to do to make sure that we have access to that clean water. Um, and, and, and say, if you could share a bit about your background in, in this space and the mission of the in the work that uh, Children's Environmental Health Network does. Sure, sure. So my background is public health, maternal and child health is my specific training. And I've had the pleasure of serving as the executive director of the Children's Environmental Health Network for about uh, close to 20 years now. And we are a national nonprofit. Uh, Our basic mission has always been the same, to just ensure the protection of all children 
including the developing fetus from environmental hazards and promoting prevention of illness and disease, so no hidden agenda there. Uh, because we are national but kind of smaller in size, we have to, it's very important for us to effectively partner with a variety of different coalitions and, and strategic partners. Uh, so groups like Clean Water for All, uh, National Environmental Health Partnership Council, Lead Service Line Replacement Collaborative are just a few um, of high-level national but uh, definitely community-reaching uh, coalitions and partnerships where we are trying to leverage the benefits uh, of what national groups can do as far as leverage the great work that's happening advocacy-wise and activism-wise and the community level, but giving them even a broader stage to work on and any related expertise that we can um, give and, and lend. We've also partnered with groups like the Alliance of Nurses for a Healthy Environment, uh, Healthy Environments to organize water community meetings across the country. Uh, in particular, last year we were in Philadelphia and Toledo, Ohio. So sometimes just listening, just going in, uh, you know, our agenda is literally just to listen. Where, where have the biggest priorities been? Where have the biggest challenges been? Who have been uh, some of those or what entities have been some of those biggest challenges? And how might they be looking for assistance and how might some of us in our broader coalitions and partnerships lend support expertise to those efforts? Absolutely. And I should also add, we're usually always the child health perspective at the table as well, the you know, vulnerable populations perspective, and, and how will this impact the overall public health, but in particular vulnerable populations like children. Yeah, so let's, let's actually use that as a jumping off point to, to jump right into talking about water in terms of uh, impact on children a little bit. And so, uh, you know, I think uh, thinking about my, my, I'll talk about my personal involvement in water, which is highly limited. Uh, other than uh, <laughs> it's extremely necessary for me to live. Um, but the first time I really started thinking about the quality of drinking water in my house was, uh, you know, my son was now five when he was just a baby and really starting to think through what lead testing looked like and knowing that we needed to have, uh, we needed to make sure, I think it was when he was six months, uh, to check his blood levels for lead and knowing that this is an issue, whether it's through paint chips and you live in a really old house in, in, in D.C., there's going to be paint that's uh, that has lead when you go back a few layers, but also through water because of the lead pipes that may exist in a bunch of these older buildings. Um, and that was when I really started paying attention to, okay, so what type of pipes do I have in the house and what type of water, you know, is coming in? So sort of, Andrew, can you, like, starting with you just, and not even... Like, that's my orientation to this. So someone who's, like, very basic one-on-one, right? Can you give us some context for the water protection rollbacks that the that the Trump administration is rolling out? Like, why does this matter? What sure. is it? Yeah, definitely. Well, well first of all, uh, I would just add, uh, I was in the doctor's office this morning. My uh, son is one years old, and we did the lead test today, and uh, there was a non-detect, so that's good. Uh, and we know we do not have any lead service lines in our house, so we're at a lower risk of lead exposure. Uh, but yeah, to put this in bigger context, um, you know, federal environmental laws like the Clean Water Act, uh, there was a you know push to get these passed in the starting in the 60s, and uh, the Clean Water Act was passed in 1972. The goal of it is to restore and maintain the chemical, physical, and biological integrity of the nation's waters, and that's a huge, lofty goal. And um, in into the law was put the goal to. Uh, have 100% of our waters to be swimmable and fishable by 1983. Uh, and at the time, uh, about a third of our nation's waters uh, could meet that standard. And we've made incredible progress. Uh, we're up to about two thirds of those uh, uh, waters being swimmable and fishable. And so that's, you know, we're, we're halfway there by that metric. And so 
what that tells us is that it's time to do more and continue to, to strive for better protections and to keep our waters clean, but instead we're going backwards. And you know, we're talking about uh, the water cycle, which is a large, complex system. You know, every little stream, uh, every wetland, big river, bays, the ocean, uh, the evapotranspiration cycle, it's all connected. And so uh, when we think about these protections, they're also connected. And so if you remove protections for a, a stream in the headwaters of the Chesapeake Bay watershed in West Virginia, uh, at the top of the Potomac River, for example, that could impact the drinking water source for Washington, D.C. And we get our drinking water from the Potomac River. There's an intake uh, north of the district. And so uh, understanding the interconnectedness of our waters is super important. And also when it comes to policy and laws and protections, how they're also interconnected. And that's kind of pulls into focus what the Trump administration is doing, going after several pieces of the Clean Water Act and other laws as well. Um, and so the, the clean water rule, for example, that was uh, the regulation adopted under the Obama administration, which clarified protections for the smaller bodies of water, those intermittent and ephemeral streams. So maybe they run seasonally or only after heavy rains, but we know that they feed into those larger bodies of water like the Potomac where we get our drinking water. So it clarified those protections. Uh, what the latest repeal does is remove that rule, and the Trump administration has moved, started moving forward with a new rule which narrowly interprets the Clean Water Act to only apply to larger bodies of waters. And so it would remove those federal protections for those upstream sources. About uh, half of our nation's wetlands would lose protections and millions of stream miles. And so while this you know, it directly could lead to the bulldozing or pollution of those water bodies themselves, it also has the potential to impact us downstream where we all live, uh, you know, when we turn on the tap or when we want to eat a piece of salmon or, you know, all the ways we interact with our water, which we take for granted every day. Got it. Got it. So by allowing for pollution to happen upstream, it feeds into larger bodies of water and that impacts what's coming into our house, what we eat, what we drink. And so when we come back from this break, uh, we're going to we're going to head off to break now. When we come back, we're going to follow up more about what these rollbacks are. Um, and how it's impacting people in, in real lives or will um, once they go into effect. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent A. Cohen. And today we are talking about access to clean water and how, uh, you know, it's not just like some hippy dippy environmental i mean i trust me i'm all about hippy hippy dippy environmental but it's actually just about um what this means for you and your family no matter where you live it doesn't it doesn't matter if we're talking about like wetlands here we're also talking about access to clean drinking water and we're ac talking about um access to uh safe environments uh for for people uh regardless of where they live regardless of their income level you shouldn't have to ha buy bottled water in order to have your family safe uh in uh, the United States of America. And so we're talking about the Trump administration's 
rollbacks of some of the regulations that keep our water safe. Um, and so we are joined in studio uh, by Andrew Grinberg, the National Campaign Special Projects Manager at Clean Water Action, and also Insedu Obat Witherspoon, the Executive Director at the Children's Environmental Health Network. And I want to jump right back in with you and say, um, so in response to the rollbacks that the Trump administration um, has been has I was going to say pushing for, but um, has implemented at this point. Um, what what sorts of uh, what what has been your organization's response to this? This is I know you work closely with making sure that families um, and people people have access to uh, safe drinking water and beyond. Sure, thank you. I mean, first, it's continuing to just educate the public on ways that our public's health is. Uh, being, you know, dismantled and um, unbeknownst to them, by the way. So you're out there talking to community members or or providing a training or sitting in on a town hall, and then you're bringing up some of these things that are happening or other examples across the country that maybe haven't become so relevant on their priority list of laundry list, I'd say, of environmental health issues that they're trying to tackle and deal with in their community. And many times you'll be faced with anger. Uh, Many times there's complete dismay because what I have seen is certainly the – um, understanding of these issues in the general public since I've been in the field almost two decades has has totally increased in, in vast forms, but there still is a good pocket of our general community because there's so much that people have on their plates that there's just this uh, gross assumption, you know, that our provisions, of course, are taken care of. You know, of course the government is taking care of us, or, you know, w- why would we even have to fight for clean water? That should be, and of course that is a basic right. Uh, so first is really educating the realities of, of, of these type of things, that these rollbacks are happening you know, uh, these um, attempts are happening, and they're detrimental, and would, as Andrew mentioned, literally put us back, you know, 15-plus years easily with all that it took to get there. Second, it's utilizing our platforms through our partnerships, as I mentioned earlier, um, and also all kinds of folks in our networks. We work with health care professionals very often, child care professionals, uh, policy leaders, community leaders, environmental justice leaders, parents, grandparents, mobilizing them so that education is then translated into action. We're very big on that. We're not just educating you or bringing you up to speed just for nothing. We collectively need every able person, every leverage possible to stand up, call your congressional leader, you know, be a voice uh, in the darkness here, um, and constantly rattling these trees to let folks know in the public that we are not going to stand for this. Um, and so it's, our social media presence also is very critical in this day and time. And I also specifically want to mention our younger people. I mean, you know, for example, Friday is the climate strike, uh, just, just real briefly. And, I mean, that is a youth-led effort. I mean, we're seeing more and more, whether it's gun violence or many social issues, where our young people are really standing up um, and taking the energy and passion that many of us have and really driving forward. So having our young people, especially their media presence and the way that they're organizing, sharing information that's science-based is really critical. So that that's big for us, you know, not just sharing information, but um, evidence-based, science-based, well-understood, easily to understand, and then giving folks something to do with that information. Yeah, I think your mention there of young people leading this is so critical. It's it's almost like uh, it's almost like 
right now uh, younger millennials and Gen Z um, are sort of they they've had access to social media. They they understand when somebody is BSing them. You know, they're sort yeah. of like, why is it? What is it about uh, access to clean water that is so controversial? And so um, I definitely want to come back and talk a little bit more about the communities that um, you're seeing that are super impacted and the educational materials that are super important there. Um, so we have a little bit more information about that. But I also want to make sure that um, as we're talking about young people leading this, um, what are they seeing that we are not? You know, what is the Trump administration's incentive here? Like th- this is not just a, what, why exactly? I think, Andrew, this is a question for you right now. Like, why is it that we're seeing the Trump administration do this? This is, this is not coming from a place of good intent. Sure, absolutely. Um, and so the first thing to understand is that, you know, when we're talking about the Clean Water Act, for example, ever since it was passed, it has been under attack from specific corporate interests that do not like regulation standing in their way of mm-hmm. making money. And so there are specific industries that have lobbied extensively for the weakening of our clean water laws and regulations. And so uh, when we're talking about the clean water rule, some of the biggest forces behind that and some of these other rollbacks have been uh, developers uh, who don't want to have to go through environmental uh, processes when getting permits to build or bulldoze and you know you just ignore that wetland or stream and pave right over it. Uh, the fossil fuel industry is driving a lot of this uh, these rollbacks. Um, the construction of pipelines, for example, uh, for the build out of the oil and gas industry, uh, you know that we've seen a huge expansion of oil and gas production. We're now the largest uh, producer of uh, of oil and gas in the world. And uh, the ability to build infrastructure, for that industry is uh, you know, at risk if our water is actually protected. And so we've got an industry that is inherently polluting and it relies on removing protections for water to be able to operate. Um, beyond this, you know, the clean water rule and the replacement rule that we call the dirty water rule, um, we've also got several other proposals and those often go st- specifically at different industries and specific rules that apply to different industries. And so uh, there's a rollback of an Obama-era rule that deals with the toxic water discharge from coal-fired power plants, and that is the single largest source of toxic pollution into surface waters is from that fossil fuel uh, industry. And uh, we've got a rule that uh, would weaken states' abilities and tribes' abilities to weigh in on federally permitted projects like dams pipelines, coal export terminals, LNG export terminals. And so really what we're seeing is the wish list of big corporate polluters being implemented by this administration. Big corporate polluters. So let's talk more about the swamp when we come back and how corporate polluters are influencing our clean water laws. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. And today uh, we are talking about clean water and access to clean water and the Trump administration's dangerous attack on our access to clean water. Um, so we are joined on the phone by Insedu Obot-Witherspoon and here in studio also by Andrew Grinberg. <laughs> um, and Insedu, I want to... I wanna, pop back over to you for a second here because we were talking about some of the work that you do um, in helping to provide the resources um, and the uh, education to uh, communities often most at risk of not having um, access to clean drinking water. And I know that you mentioned that there are things that you 
tell uh, the people that you work with and they are shocked. They're shocked that this is not something that is given. It seems like it should be a given that we have clean water um, in the United States um, with the infrastructure that we have. Um, Can you talk a little bit through some of the things um, that uh, unfortunately um, are still kind of kind of not a given and things that we kind of that we do need to be fighting for when we're talking about how this directly impacts people's lives sure so you know usually no matter what our political affiliation or zip code or social economic status there is one unifier that i lean on a lot which is just usually a connection to young people children uh we were all children uh many people have children or work with children or are around children and most people want the next generation to be better off and that's defined in many ways so just the fact that we knowingly uh are polluting you know our our basic forms of existence like our food supply our water supply, and I'd throw in even our air, we need all three to survive, uh, is, is it just atrocious. And it's just, you know, going into 2020, something that I would have never guessed we'd still be dealing with, quite frankly. Um, I've always said I, I don't want our organization to have to be um, in existence. I want this work to be so naturally interwoven <laughs> into public health uh, prevention that you don't need an advocate group to stand up and say, well, wait, what about kids? But that's not where we're at. So that really usually rings very true and loudly for community members, because everyone can resonate and rally around. I don't want to be dealing with this, but I definitely don't want my kids and my grandkids and their kids down the road to be dealing with this. And by the way, what what uh, situation are we leaving uh, future generations, our legacy, uh, when it comes to, you know, totally being um, uh, non-responsible, the, way, the type of environmental stewards that we should be just overall for the wildlife habitat and the ecosystem itself, but of course, all of us who depend on it to be thriving. Um, I'd also say when you start talking about the ramifications, that hits home uh, as well because healthy water, we say, equals healthy children, and clean water should be a human right. So when that right is stripped away, when you unknowingly are turning on your tap for months, years at a time, not thinking anything of it, because, again, you don't have any other reasoning to think that there should be something of concern. Um, Many different types of contaminants just coming out of your faucet as you're brushing your teeth, washing your children's clothes, taking baths, and then to find out after the fact, if you want to think about some very uh, upset, um, and I'm saying this mildly, mildly people, when you have, you know, a call or someone in front of you who feels the weight of guilt, even though it wasn't their fault, but feeling as though, what could I have done? I should have done something. You know, but to not know and to not know that you're exposed is almost stripping away, you know, that human ability to make a decision that's responsible and healthy um, for you and the ones that you love. So that also is really hard to digest. But once people get past that, then the energy comes in and the energy to do something and to advocate and to stand up and to make sure. And we see this in Flint. We see this even in Newark. We see this in cities. Unfortunately, there will be more of them across the country. People are not standing up. This is not okay. It should not happen. It should not happen here. It should not happen anywhere. And we should know better, and we have to hold those accountable to make sure that this is not a, a, a constant cycle that we're going through yeah absolutely and and so the you mentioned a couple of cities already flint newark what are the what are the um communities most at risk here of of losing or what types of communities are most vulnerable to these rollbacks and most at risk of losing access to clean water and and like just to get really tangible what does that mean for children's health like what does that mean in the life of a child who doesn't have access to clean water 
Sure. So children actually drink more water pound per pound when you think of body weight compared to adults. So that's one major route of exposure. There are many other routes of exposure, but talking about water, that, that really puts them in harm's risk. So they actually ingest higher amounts of any harmful chemicals that come their way that may be presented in drinking water. So in addition, when a child um, is also swimming, usually children you know, take in a lot more swallowing of water than adults. That's yet another exposure if they're swimming in contaminated lakes, rivers, and bays. And then when you think about the vulnerability just by how they're set up, their metabolic systems and organ systems are still developing. So toxic chemicals are especially harmful to their developing organs because their bodies were never meant to break down those chemicals. So those are just a few examples of why they are even higher on the list than, say, the average matured adult system. So our best line of defense to protect our nation's water quality and the health of our kids is to prevent harmful contaminants and toxic in the, in the first place from even coming into contact the best we can. And we know a lot of the reason as to how, these, how various levels of pollution are actually entering our groundwater, our rivers, and our lakes, and our streams. And I also don't want to be remiss, there are a lot of other vulnerable populations like low-income communities, communities of color, fence-line communities, who are already very much disproportionately impacted by uh, contaminated water and other routes of exposure. Also, small and rural communities and those who rely on private wells or whose water systems lack resources to deal with polluted sources, um, like farm worker agricultural communities are also hardest hit, hardest hit um, as well and would be completely hardest hit by these proposed rollbacks. Um, so also I would throw in Latin American, African American, and indigenous Americans are most likely to be at risk because of their proximity traditionally to polluted waters and rivers and streams and lakes. So those communities totally understand the benefits that we were reaping as long as it took when the clean water rule was actually established. And to now even think about it, you know, potentially being rolled back is, is almost too much, you know, to even bear, especially for these high-risk communities. Yeah. Wow. And, and it continues to be those who are most impacted by um, oppressive systems, most marginalized from uh, things like rulemaking process, oftentimes bear the brunt of these policy decisions, these, these terrible policy positions where um, you're, we're talking about pollutants, we're talking about corporate interests, and right now an administration that is putting profits over people. Um, and this is, I mean, this is part of the corruption that's happening right now in Washington. We've seen uh, with the crookie monster... Uh, to steal a line from uh, our, uh, the Clean Water Action folks, uh, with the really corrupt individuals running um, agencies in a way that benefits themselves uh, and their friends in industry. And so we know that uh, we started off talking about the, the rollback that's been um, put out just last week as a final rule um, that we're hoping will be uh, held up in court, that there will be some challenges to it before implementation actually happens. Um, but that's not the only thing that's happening here. The Trump administration is like, we got one bite of the apple and let's take 17,000 more. So, Andrew, can you talk to us a little bit more about some of the proposed rules that are happening right now? Areas where, moments where the government has said, we're going to do X and there's an opportunity for people to weigh in on that before it's too late. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Thanks. So, uh, there are several 
upcoming rulemakings that the administration has indicated they will begin, um, either through an executive order or uh, they put it in their unified agenda, their plans for rulemakings. And so uh, they run the gamut from allowing more sewage to be dumped into our rivers, um, more fracking wastewater to go into rivers and streams. Uh, There's one that would carve out a loophole for pollution to enter our waterways as long as it passes through groundwater first. Go figure. Um, And uh, I mentioned the power plant pollution rollback earlier in the show. But right now there is an active rulemaking uh, that goes after Clean Water Act Section 401. And so sounds wonky. uh, but it's not. Uh, so the Clean Water Act, of course, it's a federal law, but it relies on states and sovereign tribal nations for its implementation. And so anytime a federally permitted project is going to get a license or permit, and so we're talking about like a large pipeline, so think, you know, Keystone XL or Dakota Access, uh, the proposed Constitution pipeline in New York, uh, a coal export terminal in Washington, a liquid natural gas export terminal, uh, a dam. These are big infrastructure projects that the energy industry relies on getting federal permits for. States and tribes have the ability to weigh in and require changes or even the possibility to veto these projects if they find that they would not protect their states or their tribes' waters. And so uh, there's been a push by the energy industry to limit the ability of states and tribes to use this authority to uh, weigh in on these projects. And uh, there is a proposed rulemaking, it's out for public comment right now, that would limit uh, states and tribes' uh, power to do this in a few ways. It would limit the time that they have to comment. It would narrow the scope of types of activities that they can can look at. And so, you know, like if you're going to build a pipeline that in, it requires a huge amount of bulldozing and changing of the land, and there may be runoff from the sites that would impact streams, but this would narrow the scope of review to just discharge coming out of a pipe, right? So if a pipeline may impact a stream by bulldozing it, but it won't actually discharge pollution, it's still harmful to water. But this would say, all right, state, you can't weigh in on the fact that we're just going to bulldoze your stream. Um, the, the craziest part about this is it relies on states and tribes to weigh in, but then this rule would then give the federal permitting agency the authority to basically just overturn that state or tribe's decision and then would force them to go into a legal challenge process that, you know, if you're a state or a tribe, you don't want to get into unnecessary legal battles. It takes time, it takes resources. And while it's going through the challenge, the project could move forward. And so this authority has been used several times. Uh, It's commonly used to request modifications on a project, but there's been a few high profile cases where a state has actually blocked fossil fuel projects from moving forward. Um, Recently, the Jordan Cove liquid natural gas terminal was blocked in the state of Oregon. Uh, The Constitution pipeline I mentioned in New York was blocked. Uh, There was a coal export terminal in Washington. And so this is one of the ways states and local people, because they have an opportunity to weigh into their states, can block the expansion of the fossil fuel build-out. And so taking away this authority from states and tribes also goes at individuals' authority. And so uh, we have this opportunity to push back right now. It's an open comment period until October 21st. Uh, Clean Water Action has set up an online tool so you can weigh in. I would invite all the listeners 
to go to cleanwater.org slash 401 and submit a comment to the docket. Uh, we have to load up these rulemakings with dockets in opposition. It's one of the underpinnings of legal challenges is to show a strong record that the public uh, does not support these things. Um, and it also gives ammunition uh, to our legislators and shows that there is the will of the people to go up and you know take these issues on And because we do need to eventually pass legislation to deal with some of these things. And so building that strong public support, controlling the narrative that people do not want rollbacks is really important. I just, I mean, uh, before we hop over to you, Brent, I just, I think it is just so ironic how we see um, so much conversation on states' rights. Um, <laughs> that, that was going to be my no comment. Way. Okay. I mean, I just, it's just hilarious. We see, we've seen this in like the student loan industry, sort of like uh, states trying to step up to protect their student loan borrowers um, from badly behaving servicers. But then under uh, the Betsy DeVos Department of Education, she was like, actually, like we 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 are not all about states' rights. If it means that uh, some of these servicing companies that I have a cushy relationship aren't right. going to like make a buck off this. <laughs> That's right. No, it, it, when it's convenient for there to be states' rights, they are all about it. But when it's not so convenient, so we're seeing it now in this. I tweeted about it earlier because the Trump administration is not just trying to hurt our water source. They're also going after our air quality. And so they, they revoked a waiver from the state of California, which allowed them to um, impose stricter... Uh, uh, guidelines for car manufacturers on air quality, and the Trump administration was like, no, 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 state rights, uh, not here. It, it's not so much states' rights that they care about as corporations' rights. That and, is right. And in this case, polluters' rights. And so uh, we've got to be crystal clear about who they're really working for, and they're talking points about protecting states' rights. We know that that is bogus. Totally bogus. I, I want to use stronger language, yeah. but I've been reminded this is syndicated, and so we will say bogus. <laughs> You know what I mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> it's code. <laughs> Bogus is is Brent code. I got it. <laughs> so so where do we so where do we go from here? We have um, we have an open comment period uh, that Andrew talked about. And say where you are on the on uh, working with communities around the country. Where where are there ways for folks to engage? Sure. Well, one uh, that's coming right up is um, Children's Environmental Health Day. It's always the second Thursday of every October. So this year it's October 10th. Um, you can go to our website, cehn.org, and just look under CEH Day. And there's all kinds of ways that individuals, organizations, businesses can get involved, and they are. This is our fourth annual of this. It's a day of action. It's a day of assessment. And obviously it's one day, but it's a way for us all to hold ourselves accountable. Um, and in these water issues in particular, there are proclamations, Children's Environmental Health Day proclamations that are obtained by citizens in those uh, cities and states across the country. And talk about irony, it makes it, I think, very challenging for a mayor or governor to be doing all these, you know, if they're involved or, or their state or city is involved in these very obvious polluting activities, and then to sign a proclamation that you're standing up for children's health <laughs> and children's well-being. So the point is that is one of many resources and tools we have on that site where advocates can utilize that in a proactive way, a positive way to, you know, make progress and to call it what it is and to call, you know, these ironies and to really get to the point of we all collectively need to do better. And we're, we're going to call you on it. Um, there's also activities that people can load up, activities that are happening for and with children. Um, we encourage that. And there are all kinds of activities happening that people can weigh in on, as well as different sign-on letters uh, related to children's environmental health issues uh, for water and beyond. So we've just got about uh, 30 seconds left here and say, where can folks find more information about you and the work that you do? Sure. 
www.cehn.org. And that's Nsedu Obat-Witherspoon, the Executive Director of the Children's Environmental Health Network. Um, and then we've also got Andrew. Andrew, where can folks find more information? So we're at cleanwateraction.org. And I would also encourage folks to hop on Twitter today, especially with the hashtag #ProtectCleanWater. Uh, it's a day of action, and we've been mobilizing folks through social media. A lot of uh, members of Congress are tweeting about this issue today with all that's going on. And so I would encourage everyone to join the conversation there at protect, hashtag #ProtectCleanWater. Awesome. So hashtag protect clean water. We've got an online action to respond to folks, and there's ways to get involved on the chn.org website. Charlotte, where can folks find you? <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Charlotte, C-H-A-R-L-A-T-A-N-N-E. And I'm at Brent J. Cohen, and we've been joined in studio talking about the importance of clean water, rollbacks from the Trump administration with Andrew Grinberg and Nsedu Obit-Witherspoon. Thanks so much for joining us on the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show.